Hey, welcome in to the Stink Truth Podcast. Mark Slurd, along Mike Evans, Scott DeHuff, producer extraordinaire, on vacation right now, Mike. That guy Aloha! Takes, yeah, that guy takes more vacation time for crying out. I gotta get his out. vacation plan. I'm telling you what, it's a great vacation plan. Anyhow, he's in Hawaii enjoying his family, so good for him. Love to thank our corporate sponsor, our presenting sponsor, the great people of Recore Water. I'm telling you what, love this water. Uh, the one with the big boot cap, you can find it at 7-Eleven or any, else, any other place that water is sold. That's Core Water. Check them out. Hydratewithcore.com is where you need to go find them. So... Um, Mike, how are you, buddy? What's going on? You know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying this NFL offseason because, you know, there always used to be a saying around baseball come spring training that hope springs eternal. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, nary a negative word to be said about about anybody or anything here in the offseason. It is all good. It is all, you know, skittles and kittens. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, think about it. You got um, skittles and kittens. I think that's probably the first time I've ever heard. Like it's usually rainbows and lollipops and some unicorns thrown in there, but skittles and kittens. Yeah, think about it. Skittles and kittens. Yeah, kittens. I mean, just kittens. Put a smile on your yeah, face. Yeah, kittens right? are cute, I guess. But think about it. You've got they're not puppies, but they're all right. Doug Williams came out raving about Dwayne Haskins. Lashawn McCoy mm-hmm. talking about how much more confident Josh Allen looks like this year. The Broncos have themselves a new high-paid right tackle in Juwan James. Von Miller saying he's the best right tackle I've ever gone up against in practice. I mean, the hyperbole machine is just right. working overtime here in, in June, and it's spitting out nothing but but positive feel-good stuff. Like how much how much do you how much merit do you put in any of that? Like Von Miller saying Juwan James is and and he was a highly paid right tackle out of Miami. Now, there is a difference. You know, it used to be back in my day where the left tackle was the premier player, right? He was the cornerstone. A little different today, like there's not as much discrepancy between right and left anymore because they've got these pass rushers that are on multiple pass on each side. You know, here in Denver they've got you know, Vaughn Miller and, and Bradley Chubb. And then you look at Ingram and Bosa in, in um, Chargerville, you know. And then you look at, you know, some of the other guys around the league. So it's there's not so much, hey, the big kind of clunky run defenders on over the right tackle and the pass rushers over the left tackle like it used to be. It's not that way anymore. So th- there's been less of a kind of a le- less of a, I, I guess a difference between right and left tackles anymore. They're, they're, they've kind of morphed into you better have a guy that can move on each side. But how much merit do you put into these off-season kind of praise, accolades that that people throw at each other? Like Vaughn Miller says, he's the best right tackle I've played or practiced against. Dude, you guys have been in underpants. Like the, you, you haven't put a helmet on. You haven't put shoulder pads on yet. You, 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 there's no contact in the off season, right? Like, did did that change? You guys don't, you guys don't touch each other. How do you know he's the best right tackle you've practiced against? Like, it, it's such a like you, you, you use the word hyperbole. It's, it's such a bunch of garbage. Like, Lashawn McCoy saying, "Hey, Josh Allen has really made. Uh, I mean, he's made dramatic improvement this off. Season. I hope so." Like I hope he he completed fifty three percent of his passes last year. He started twelve games at two thousand yards. I hope he's improved. Like, isn't that the, isn't that what you're supposed to do from year one to year two? Well, but how much of it is these guys are 
thinking, hey, you know, what's good for the company line, that kind mm-hmm. of thing? Or how much of it is them just trying to talk themselves into it? Like, hey, it's June. I'm getting ready. Training camp is coming. Here comes the drudgery. Here comes the misery. Here comes a long season. I, I got to feel some reason for optimism or this is going to just be a drag. You right. think it's as much them just trying to pump themselves up? Yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot of that that goes into it. Obviously, you're being asked questions and you can't you can't throw out the yeah, he really hasn't improved that much. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of work, you know, and so I think there's a lot of I think that there's a lot of that um hope springs eternal. Let's just throw that optimistic viewpoint out there and and hope that you know the guy gets it. You know, same thing with Dwayne Haskins like you know you you get Doug Williams who comes out who's the the player personnel the president of player personnel or whatever he is for the Washington Redskins it says hey man Dwayne he's the real deal and he's great and he's this that and the other and I was with Joe Theismann a week ago and Joe Theismann does all their preseason games so he's been kind of doing his research and he's been at the practices and stuff and he's like yeah I mean the kid's got a long way to go you know I mean it, this is not Ohio State where every time you line up on every Saturday. You're just so dramatically more talented than everybody else. Well, like it showed. It showed in that where they play the Big Ten championship against Michigan, where they hung sixty some odd points on them. Like the athletic, the the difference. And this is Michigan versus Ohio State. They're not supposed to. There's not that much that's supposed to separate them. And and it was you know, it was varsity versus JV is what it looked like. So, you know, there's a more realistic kind of viewpoint of of where Dwayne Haskins actually is. Not that he doesn't have great potential to be awesome, but there's a there's a big learning curve there. Well, how about Theismann saying? He said if I if they start Haskins right away, it's a recipe for disaster was his was his quote. And he pointed to the idea that look at how they open up the season against the uh Eagles and then the Cowboys and then the Bears and then the Giants and then the Patriots. So his point is is that you know, you, you got a veteran quarterback there in, in Case Keenum. Everybody understands he's not the answer long term, but but don't throw this guy in until he's ready. Well, where where do you come down on that? The right. idea that hey, the only way these guys can learn is if they play, versus the idea of hey, let him sit back, let him absorb, let him learn. You run the risk if you throw him right in there that maybe they fail in such a way that it really, really hurts their entire career. Yeah, I think I think there's a, a fine juggling and balancing act that you've got to kind of go through. Um, and we've seen it, you know, and, and some of it depends on the guy, you know. I think part of your job from a, from a coaching standpoint is being kind of a, you know, a, a psychologist in how your guy reacts to it. Like, there's, like... Go Troy Aikman, for instance, and the beating he took as a young player, the beating he took physically and mentally as a young player. Like, you have to have some unbelievable, like, mental toughness to be able to go get through that. For every, you know, for every Troy Aikman, I could list five guys that were just miserable failures, you know, from the the David Carrs of the world to the Patrick Ramsey of the world to the JP Lossmans of the world to you know you I mean you can go through guys who came in and were thrust into situations and took an absolute physical beating and then just were never the same after that. 
Um, and so I, I think you have to really understand who your guy is, like where he is. But I always think that that part of kind of learning the game is sitting back and watching the veterans play, both good and bad. Like you can learn a lot from Case Keenum. Uh, Case Keenum is you know the starter in Washington now, or the the the, the presumed starter in Washington right now. You can learn a lot, both good and bad, from watching Case Keenum. How do you protect the ball? You know, how do you how do you operate from under shot from under center versus shotgun? How, you know, what do you what are your reads and all those things? I'm not saying that Case Keenum is the answer in Washington. I'm just saying he may be the short term answer until, you know, until you feel like you're never going to be ready completely. As a rookie, as any young player. How do we all learn as as just humans, as just individuals? We learn by, you know, we do something, we get our ass kicked, we we make a mistake, and then we say, oh, okay, I get it now, I, I understand that, I can't do that. So there's going to be growing pains involved in that. Do you think? Do you think that if so, the the idea being that hey, we want to sort of shelter a guy from some of the mistakes and some of the stuff he's going to have to deal with. If if you are already in a position where you feel you have to shield a guy from that stuff, mm-hmm. haven't you already kind of answered the question about whether or not he has what it takes in the long run? Meaning if right. you know, if your belief was we can't put him out there because he's not ready, what are the odds that he ends up turning out to be great? Oh, I, I think most guys probably come in and aren't ready. And a lot of those guys have turned out to be great. Okay. So what I am saying is that often— I mean, Aaron Rodgers didn't play. He didn't play for three years, right? I think he benefited from it. But are you convinced that if he had been thrown right in, that there wasn't Brett Favre, that Rodgers was drafted by Green Bay and he was thrown right in? Are we still looking at the same career trajectory for Aaron Rodgers then? Yeah, I mean— I. I mean, we'll never know the answer to that question. I mean, I look at it the other way. Remember, Alex Smith was a total bust, yeah. right? He got thrown right in and just took a beating and was a total bust. And then I'll never forget sitting with Jim Harbaugh when Jim Harbaugh got signed as the, the head coach of the Niners and goes, man, this kid's going to be a star. And I'm like, come on, Jim, like, stop. He's like, no, 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 I'm serious. This kid can play. He just needs to have some confidence. He needs to have somebody who believes in him. And, you know, we've seen Alex Smith actually become a very good quarterback. Now, hopefully, I don't know if he'll ever play again. I hope he does. I mean, he came within minutes of losing his leg. Um, so, you know, I mean, it was it was touch and go. He's had multiple surgeries, infections, and all kinds of things in that broken leg from last year. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how, you know, he progresses and if he ever plays the game again. I hope he does. But... um. You know, I, I just think that every guy progresses on, on a different path. I think the thing you have to understand, Mike, is that when you have a young player, regardless of position, there's only so much that guy can digest, only so much you can put on his plate. So oftentimes what you have to do is you have to say, hey, let's pull back some of this offense. You know, the first game I ever started in, first game I ever started in was against the Philadelphia Eagles who were just an absolute beastly defense, right? And they were starting me as a rookie. They were starting. They were they were playing 
Um, Jamie Morris was a, a young running back who hadn't had a lot of time. Um, we're starting Jimmy Johnson, who was also a rookie at the tight end position. Like we, we had Doug Williams was a quarterback, but we had a lot of young guys that were playing. We had a lot of injuries. We had just a lot of things going on on that offense. I think we ran it 50 sometimes against the Eagles that day. So that's not saying, hey, we think that Stink isn't mentally tough enough or Jimmy Johnson's not mentally tough enough or, or you know, or, or uh, um, Jamie Morris isn't mentally tough enough. That's saying, hey, these guys don't have any experience. And so what we did is we're saying we can win with physicality and we can win by, hey, you know, dumb it down, keep it simple, stupid, so we don't make mistakes. And I think for the quarterback position, you've got to kind of do some of the same stuff. So all the things you want to be able to do, you can't necessarily do all those things. So it limits you to some degree in in the things you can do. So I think a lot of teams look at it like, all right, let's get us through the bye week. Let's see where we sit. You know, let's get five or six games in there. Let's see where we are record-wise before we make that. We know that Case Keenum's not the answer. We know that... Colt McCoy, if he comes back, he's injured too. He's not the answer. We know this. But can we weather the storm and and see where we sit? Maybe if we're having a great year and Case Keenum's playing out of his mind like he did in Minnesota that one year, then maybe we just kind of hang tight and, and take it as a redshirt year and or wait till the end of the season. But if we're 0 and 5 or you know, 1 and 1 and 5 or 1 and 6 or whatever, then it's just time to say, let's dumb it down, let's keep it. Let's let's progress and and let's give him little things that he can handle. And every week, let's stack one thing on top of another. All right. So, in the debate of what to do with these rookie quarterbacks, you say whether it's Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray following the same boat. I mean, Kyler, he's, he's saying all the right things in Arizona. He says, "Hey, look, you know, it's all about building chemistry, but chemistry is going to take some time." I mean, he sounds like mm-hmm. the guy preaching the right things, but. Do, do I take what you're saying, saying that that he should probably be sat down for five or six weeks too? Di- like now, that's a different. That's a completely different deal. How so? Well, Brent Hunley is your backup there, and some guy I've never heard of. Um, you specifically went after a head coach. <laughs> That couldn't win at Texas Tech to run an offense that probably only Kyler Murray can run. So Kyler Murray's going to start day one, and it's there's a it's a it's just a different deal. Like just because of the offense, just because of yeah, because of the offense, because of the coach that you signed, and because what they're going to run. Um, and but you just but you just explained all the pitfalls that could occur for a young quarterback mm-hmm. aren't you running the same risk with Kyler Murray and and you're willing to roll the dice on all that just because your hand-picked coach is hand-picked coach is going to run a college offense so I'm not talking about hey this is a professional style offense like I understand I understand that you know for all those people that are going to go Everybody runs spread, right? I mean, you know, we're yes, there are there are spread concepts in every offense. You're you're correct, one hundred percent. But the thing that makes this league different, there's several things. One, you don't have 
80 players. You can't rotate through a bunch of guys, okay? The hash marks make a huge difference. There's no real wide side of the field like there is in college football. So it, the spread part of it is different. Yeah, we're going to run a bunch of read zone. One thing about running the read zone stuff, Mike, is that when you flag that ball, whether you keep the ball, whether you hand the ball off, or whether there's a play action, what it does to freeze the underneath coverage is is pretty remarkable. So there are a lot of concepts in that offense, Mike, that are one-route concepts. You know, where you, you're you running X drift or you're running Y hook, and that's the only guy you got. And so there's there's a bit of a difference there and why Kyler Murray is kind of in a unique situation because this experiment already failed once. It was called Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. And Arizona went in this direction. I cannot imagine that this is a long-term solution. I, I mean, I would think that after two years, um, there's going to be a complete turnover. And I'm not saying that Kyler Murray can't play in a traditional style or anything. I just don't think, I don't think, well, I know that this is not a long-term solution. I Here's the other thing, Mike. I'm not saying that your offense can't, it can't be productive, right? The problem is, very much like in Philadelphia. You were productive. You put points on the board. You ran the ball. You did those things. You also led the league in three and outs. You led the league in lack of time of possession. And you put undue stress on a defense that after midway through the season slipped. Like they dropped exponentially in their ability to defend because they were tired. I did a breakdown of the Eagles back in those Chip Kelly days, and the number of plays their defense had to run because of the number of three and outs the offense had was that if the average team was was like 65 plays or so, they were running 80, defending 80 plays. So after like after eight weeks, like the, the breakdown we did was they had actually played two more games in number of snaps. So at, at the eight-week mark, they had actually on defense played 10 games on, on just snap count alone. So th- what that does to you as a defense, man, and you know as well as anybody, like offense, the difference between this for me is like, think about it. If I'm an offensive lineman, I, I execute my play, I block my guy, I flop down on the ground, I cut him, whatever. I just lay there. He's got to get up and chase. Like it, it's the difficulty of reactionary football on the defensive side versus, um, you know, versus kind of you dictate the play on the offensive side. It, it's mu- it's the, the energy you expend is much, it, it's much more on the defensive side of the ball. So you're asking your defense all of a sudden to play, you know, 15 or 20 more snaps a game. So if you're playing 20 more snaps a game after four games, you've got an extra 60, what? No. 20, 40, 60, 80 more snaps. You've played a you played another 80 snaps after four games. And that's what it came out to. So so if you're averaging 80 snaps a game and the average team is averaging 60 or 65, I mean the end of at the end of four games, you have played an extra game. Yep. So 
you're playing on the defensive side of the ball after 16 games. You're playing a 20 game schedule. Based and on you snaps. say you don't do math well. I did. That was that was really you hard. Did some, that was some serious extrapolating right there. Right, but you but you get what I'm no, saying. Totally, so I, totally. I, like, I'm not saying the offense can't produce numbers. I, I think it can. But the numbers that I get more concerned about are three and outs and, you know, I mean, every, like, you can't understand what it does to a defense to watch your team. Like, you've just sucked eggs and you, you've defended a, you know, a, 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 let's call it a 12-play drive or whatever, and, and you held them to a field goal. And you're like, that was a moral victory, man. They had it, but we we tightened up in the red zone. We figured it out. Bam. And I played defense in college, so I know what this feels like, right? You run over the sideline, you suck some water, your coach talks to you, and the t- offense goes three and out, and you're right back on the field. Oof. I mean, it's miserable. And now you don't have the 80 guys like you do in college. You don't have the rotation that you have in college. So you're like, hey, you're right back out there, man. Roll. Because you know what we're not doing? We're not, you know, we're not putting – Johnny B. Scrub out there to take your place for a series. We can't afford it. Hey, where do you come down on this whole uh, Tyreek Hill investigation? So uh, the NFL met with him this week. Uh huh. Said the investigation, their investigation is ongoing, mm-hmm. even though the authorities in Kansas City have ended their investigation. No charges were filed or anything like this. Mm-hmm. But we do know that the NFL has their own brand of justice and just because you aren't convicted of anything doesn't mean you can't be suspended. See Ezekiel Elliott, the most recent example right. got six games. Uh, what what would your prediction be? Do you have a, a feeling of, of what, what's going to happen with Tyreek Hill? Well, if Zeke got six games, it's got to be at least six. Um, they're going to they need to, based on you know the bad publicity they have gotten, they need to be firm. They need to be strict. Um, Adrian Peterson was suspended for the season. So uh, this is something that they have to do. To play in this league is a privilege. And this guy's a piece of shit as far as I'm concerned. I, like, that's who he is. And this goes back to his college days when there was a uh, you know domestic violence against his college. He punched his his pregnant girlfriend. Like, come on. So, and the league needs to be swift, um, and they need to be incredibly punitive. It's a privilege to play in this league, and and he he doesn't deserve can that. You, but can you be that definitive, calling him a, a you know a piece of crap? No, I call him a piece of shit. Okay, but. I mean that's a, that's a, that's a definitive. I'm assigning blame. I'm assigning guilt type statement right there, and yet, you know, the authorities that investigated this didn't come up with anything that would, in their mind, indicate that he's a piece of shit. Right. Well, he. I mean, we've got the tape of him threatening his girlfriend or threatening his, you know, fiance or whatever she is to him, um, where she's saying, "Hey, he's he doesn't respect you. He's two and a half. He's." petrified he's terrified of you well you better be ter- terrified of me too because you know i mean this is that's who he is and and uh, like he's an unbelievably talented fast you know i, I want defense coordinator to say he's the fastest guy in pads i have ever seen in my entire career and this guy's been coaching the league forever but say what you want and and you know you can say i'm rushing to judgment but again i'm a privileged guy and the fact that you I don't. I don't care who you are. You can't lay your hands on 
your your wife, your fiance, female, um, you know, your kids, whatever. So, I mean, that's that's where I stand, and and that's what I think of him. Let's say it's six. Just uh-huh. how does that change, alter the AFC West, the AFC? Well, it puts it clearly puts the Chargers in the driver's seat of the division. Clearly, now they split with the Chargers. KC did last year, and um, and um, but they had home field advantage via, via the tiebreaker, correct? But I I think one what people don't understand about Tyreek from a, just a a pure football standpoint is how he opens up how he opens up the game like we think of him as a speed burner hey lift the top coverage you know and then kind of return skills like like he's got unbelievable open field skills right because he's so quick and he's so dynamic and he's all those things right so he's got all that stuff going on for him but all the jet sweep and the misdirection stuff and and the bubble screens what it ends up doing is it ends up your outside edge defense, so defensive ends, outside linebackers, safeties, are so cognizant, are so aware of him, especially in motion, jet sweep, fake reverse, all that stuff, that they can't constrict the middle of the field. They have to They have to um, have outside leverage because of his speed and his athleticism and, and what he presents. So really, to me, one of the biggest parts – that he opens up for them is the inside running game. Like they just get no constriction. So it doesn't even have to be blocked well. Those guys that are are outside defenders are always a step and a half late helping in the run game. So where a, a normal run would be two and a half or three, they're getting six because they're not getting that outside constriction. Like they're not those guys aren't squeezing down and and they're not being involved or they're a step and a half late to get involved in the run game because of what he does on the outside with the jet sweep and and because you hand it to him on a jet sweep and and he's already got the corner on you. Like there's nothing you can do about it. So you have to play with a little bit more width and you have to hold a little bit to make sure he doesn't have the ball, which keeps you from getting involved in, you know, the inside running game. I think the other thing that and I always talk to you about this Football-wise, what something I call the 70-30 rule. 70% of the time when you call a play, you're on schedule, right? You you call the play, you execute it, you run it. 30% of the time, things break down, and then it becomes kind of schoolyard, you know? Kind of your, like, what happens when things break down? What do you do? When things break down, dude, that guy is, is the number one target for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you think about left-handed pass, you know, sidearm pass. There was a play that basically won the the game for them against the Baltimore Ravens, a fourth down and nine where they scramble around. He just chucks down in the middle of the field, and all of a sudden Tyreek Hill comes from nowhere, like he comes from the sideline to make that play. So broken plays. What happens when plays break down? That's the most dynamic dude. That's Batman and Robin, man. That's the most dynamic duo in football. So, like, I think it, I think it dramatically hurts the Chiefs on the offensive side of the ball. So you th- you're, you're thinking six or you think more? I'm thinking at least six, at least but six. I'm thinking I'm thinking more. But I, you know, if they want to eight, yeah, I think if the NFL just wants to cop out, which they have a propensity to do, they'll just give them six and move on because that's what Zeke. You think got. that'd be a cop out? Yeah. Oh six yeah. Six is significant, man. That's 
I mean, I'm not going to start deserves, doing math. I think he deserves. I think he deserves a season-long suspension. Okay. He needs help. That's what I think. All right. And All I right. think, and I don't. I don't think you truly help a guy unless you're incredibly punitive and say, hey, I, you better learn. Like this is a this is an this is an incredible privilege that you get to play in this league. And you know what? We're going to take that away from you for a year. Like that's that would be my recommendation. But um, again, I, I think I've been pretty clear about how I feel about the guy. All right. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, in the meantime, we're done. All right, man. Well, I appreciate we'll that. We'll be back for fourth, pre-4th of July? Yeah, absolutely. Huh? we got to do one of those. Oh, yeah. Barbecue, sure. to-dos, don'ts. Yes, right? to-dos and don'ts. To-dos and don'ts. Make sure on your barbecue you have your core water. Our presenting sponsor, Core. HydrateWithCore.com. For Mike, I'm Mark. For Scott, who's on vacation, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you before the 4th of July.